Him. But I want to jump into something tonight. Second uh, Corinthians thirteen fourteen. Uh, I, I kind of have this idea that that over the next few weeks here on these Wednesdays, uh, we're going to talk about prayer patterns. How many of you struggle a little bit with prayer sometimes, and you just get into a, you get into the you know the drudgery of it all, and you're trying to figure it out. One of the things that has always helped me in prayer is I, is I go through Scripture. I, I learn how to pray the Bible, and I go through Scripture, and I find Scriptures that I can turn into prayer patterns. And this one is one that I kind of cooked up here recently and got into, but I, but I want uh, I want to deliver it to you. This one's going to be a little bit different because it's not going to be all prayer. I'm going to say a few different things, but you'll start to get the gist of how you can pray through some scripture and stuff like that and have prayer patterns that you can go to. So in, in, in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, I'm going to call this one Trinity Prayer. But it says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let's read that one more time. Notice it lists three things here. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now he says this at the very end of the book of 2 Corinthians and he's listing the three persons of the Godhead. You've got God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, His Son, and you've got the Holy Spirit. And he gives a particular word for each of them and how we're to relate to God. Now obviously God is one, but He is three persons. That's the nature of the Trinity. And, and it's, a, it's a mystery that we don't fully understand, but he gives us three particular words on how we relate to the three persons in the Trinity. He talks about the love of God the Father. He talks about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he talks about the fellowship or the communion of the Holy Spirit. And that's really like an intimate friendship language. It's the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. And so he mentions those three things. Now, when you talk about the Trinity and what the Trinity means to us, here's what will help give you another understanding. And you may want to write this down if you're, if you're into writing stuff down. But our ministry is the ministry of Jesus Christ to the Father through the Holy Spirit for the sake of the church and the world. Now, I'm going to try to make sense of that because I know if you read it at first glance, you're just going to be like, I don't know what he just said. That was Chinese. Our ministry is the ministry of Jesus Christ to the Father through the Holy Spirit for the sake of the church and the world. So let me, let me put it to you like this. When we pray, we got to understand the position that we pray from. You know, like 89 times in the New Testament, Paul said that we are in Christ. I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. See, God became a man because he had to redeem what man lost. And Jesus was the mediator. He was the access point for humanity to get back into a right relationship with God. The first Adam failed and was cut off from God. The last Adam, Christ, comes as a man. See, God could have done anything. He could have saved us essentially in any way that he wanted to. But he knew in order for us to become what we needed to become, he had to take on flesh and bone just like us and go through the same things that we went through in order to redeem what we lost as human beings. Jesus Christ actually reveals to us what it looks like to be human. All of the time we say this language, well, you know, I, I know I'm a failure, I do this, I do this, I'm just human. But really when you, I, I'll say this, a lot of times we think being filled with the Holy Spirit makes us less human and more like God, but do you know that being filled with the Holy Spirit makes you more human? You were designed to be like Jesus. Jesus Christ, He was 100% God, but He was the only person on this planet that was ever fully human. We're dehumanized because of sin. 
Sin is broken in and it's caused us to be less human. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we become more of what God actually designed us to be. So Jesus Christ is that access point where we go back to the Father. And here's here's what I need you to understand. Our ministry is the ministry of Jesus Christ. What that means is my ministry is not my own. Your ministry is not your own. The ministry of of City of Hope Church is not... Here's what we don't say. We don't say, Lord, I'm going to go here and preach tonight. I'm going to sing a song. I'm going to worship. I'm going to go to church or I'm going to go out and do this. Would you bless our ministry? ministry. We can't say that. We don't say that as Christian people. What we say is, Lord Jesus, we know that you've got a ministry and we want to partner with it and we want you to do your ministry through us. Acts, for example, let me give you this. Acts 1.1. He says, he says, in my former book, Theophilus, this is Luke writing. He wrote the book of Acts. His former book was Luke, right? He said, in my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. He said, I'm, I wrote about what he began to do and to teach, and it's, it's written in the tense as if he's still doing stuff after he's dead. In other words, Luke is saying, guess what? Jesus' ministry did not stop at his death and resurrection, and he ascended. It did not, it, it's not that Jesus did his ministry, and then he died, then he went to the Father, and now you start your ministry. No, Jesus is continuing his ministry in the book of Acts, and he's continuing his ministry today, and we are just the people who get to join into it. But, but here's the other thing that you got to understand. Our ministry is not just to the world first. Our ministry is not just to the church first. The ministry of Jesus Christ is to the Father first. I step in Christ when I put faith in Him. I'm in Christ. He's the one that the Holy Spirit is making me into, and now I'm in Him. And my relationship then, just like Jesus, is first to the Father. Because here's what you got to understand. If I put you, if I put the church, if I put ministry to the world before my ministry to the Father, what's that going to cause? It's going to cause burnout. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever? There's one dude, I think I got a quote right here by Oswald Chambers. Look at what he said. He said, we slander God by our very eagerness to work for Him without knowing Him. And that's good right there, ain't it? We slander God by our very eagerness to work for Him without knowing Him. Jesus did not come first and primarily to save the world. I know that sounds crazy. But his ministry, if you notice, before he did anything on this earth for 30 years, he developed an intimate relationship with the Father, didn't he? He developed an intimate relationship with the Father. And his ministry was to the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit and the overthrow, the overflow of that ministry to the Father. And that's why we worship before we, before we do anything, right? Because when we come in here, what are we doing first? We are ministering to the Father. Our ministry is to the Father, to worship Him. What happens? We engage with Him in the Holy Spirit. And what happens? The Holy Spirit begins to fill us afresh. And what happens? We overflow into the church and then into the world. And that's the ministry that we have. And there's where you see the Trinity. I step into Christ. That's my relationship with Christ. I'm in Him. He's in me. And I, He is my model for what it means to be a human being, for what it means to do ministry. And what happens because of that? Then I have my relationship with God the Father. I become a beloved son of God the Father. Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. And so I step into that relationship with God the Father. And through that relationship, what happens? I am filled with the Holy Spirit. And I begin to overflow into the church and into the world. And you see that aspect. That, that's how we connect with the Trinity. He, Jesus had that relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit was on Him and then He invites us into that same relationship. We're now in Christ, in that same cycle, in that relationship 
with him. And so you gotta, you, you got to understand this because now Christ is our mediator. We have a new position. You know, in the Old Testament, I've used this illustration a lot, but a lot of times they would come in the Old Testament and they would bring the priests like doves, a turtle dove or whatever, and they'd offer it as a sacrifice. Well, the priests would take the turtle doves and he would pluck all the feathers off the turtle doves and then he would offer it up as a sacrifice. The bird represents obviously something that takes flight. It represents prayer. When we pray... I pray in Christ. That means that when the Father sees me, He doesn't answer my prayer based on my righteousness or my failures. He doesn't look at me and say, well, Clay, you failed a little bit this week. You didn't quite hold up. And really, when you prayed, you didn't quite pray enough. You know, because that's how we feel about God. We feel like He's going to treat us based on our performance. He never treats us based on our performance. He doesn't even ask, answer our prayer based on how well we ask it. He answers it based on the fact that we come in Christ. So when I pray, he sees my prayers as if they're coming from Christ himself. And Christ is my mediator sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And guess what? I'm seated right there in heavenly places in Christ Jesus with him. And because I'm seated with him, when I pray, Jesus takes my prayers. He plucks off all the feathers and says, well, that's a little bit of of some junk that don't need to be there. He takes it off. He cleans it up. And then he presents it to the Father and says, this is his prayer right here. And so that means that I can come and I can pray freely and I can pray boldly because Jesus is up there on my behalf. But see, all ministry flows out of that relationship and it's through the Holy Spirit. It's to the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus did nothing without the power of the Holy Spirit. But how was he filled with the Holy Spirit? He was filled with the Holy Spirit out of his relationship with the Father, right? A lot of times we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit or baptizing the Holy Spirit or what that means. Being filled with the Holy Spirit comes through intimacy with God the Father. And sometimes we get caught up in being filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized with the Holy Spirit. And we say, well, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit 10 years ago. How's your relationship with the Father right now? Somebody amen me on that, right? How's your relationship with Him right now? We're to be always being filled with the Holy Spirit. So when we pray, let's start with here. He says that one of the first things, the love of God the Father. He says, may the love of God the Father be with you, number one. And love in the Hebrew language is this word, his said. It's the most popular word in the Old Testament prayer and worship. Because if you read in the Old Testament, how many of y'all you ever read it says, Oh, praise the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Like there's Psalms that says that over and over again. That's a, that is a radical statement about the nature of God and who he is over and over again. And it's good to get that in your mind. Praise the Lord. Why? Because he's good and his mercy endures forever. But that word mercy is in the Hebrew language is hesed. And it's not it's translated mercy sometimes. But but really it is covenant love. Praise the Lord for his good and his covenant love endures forever. His loving kindness. Sometimes it's translated. But it's his covenant love and his faithfulness that endures forever. And and. This love, there's two things that kind of tie together, and that's his abounding love and his faithfulness. Let's look at another set of verses. In Exodus 34, Moses comes out. He says, God, I want you to show me your glory. I want to know your character. I want to know what you're really like. And I want you to imagine, I mean, when you guys think about God and you think about what he's really like, it's a good thing to meditate on. Somebody said it was the most important thing about you is what came to your mind when you thought about God. The most important thing about you is what comes to your mind when you think about God. I believe A.W. Tozer or somebody said that. But when you think about God, what comes to your mind? 
How do you see him? How do you picture him? And see, Moses was trying to figure out, man, what's God like? God, I know I'm hanging out with you. You've given me a covenant, but I still don't understand fully who you are. Will you reveal yourself to me? What's so interesting is that in the old covenant, God says, I ain't going to reveal my entire self to you. I'll show you my back parts because if you see all of me, you ain't going to be able to handle it. And that's why in the, in, the, in the book of John, in the beginning, it says, no man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son who is in the heart of the Father. He has revealed Him to us. In other words, Jesus is the fullest revelation of the Father that you will ever see, that you will ever have. Amen? So in Exodus 34, when he says, Lord, show me your glory, it says, and he passed in front of Moses in verse 6, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. You got, those, you got two words right there, hesed and emet, the two, probably two of the most used words in the Old Testament concerning God. What this means is he has a covenant love toward you. And not only that, but it is always tied into his faithfulness. That means that he is always going to love you regardless of what you do, regardless of where you go. His love toward you will never change. But not only that, his faithfulness toward you will always be true. It means that he cannot, he will not, and he refuses to let you down. It is impossible for this God that you are in covenant with through the blood of Jesus Christ to ever let you down. He is faithful and his love for you, his mercy for you endures forever and it will not end. And he says, that's who I'm about. I'm slow to anger. I'm compassionate. I'm a gracious God and I'm abounding in love and faithfulness. He says, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. So anytime somebody reads that, they're like, man, that first half's real good. And you get that back half. And it's like, I don't know, man. And, and, pe- and you know, people say all the time, y- y'all, y'all ever hear that it's like, man, the God of the Old Testament. I mean, he's, he, he's a mess. Y'all do realize, though, I tell people before, like Jesus actually thought the God of the Old Testament was the same God that's in the New, right? That's how he believed. And if you read the Old Testament, yeah, there is some stuff where it looks pretty sketchy. But I would say this about reading the Old Testament is when you read the Old Testament, how you interpret it says far more about you than it does about God. And I believe if you find more and more and more and more in the Old Testament, when I read what I find, I got a message I preached, I think, called the goodness of God and then the kindness of God, where I went through like a hundred verses of just the love and the kindness and the goodness of God in the Old Testament. And yes, sin is judged in the Old Testament. Bad things seem to happen. I get that. I understand that. But see, God is, is just. And just like it says in that verse, right, it says, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents of the fourth, third and fourth generation. But I want you to understand this in New, New Testament context. In the, on the cross of Jesus Christ, He punished, right? He visited the sins of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation on the cross. What that means is that when you sin as a father or you sin as a parent, guess what? When you come up under the blood of Jesus and you go to the cross and you receive salvation, this no longer applies because He visited your sins and the sins of your fathers and the sins of their fathers, even down to the third and fourth generation after you, and every curse has been broken on the cross. That's where He visited the sins. Somebody amen me. That's good news, isn't it? 
See, because what you need to, need to understand is you, you don't come into a Christian relationship with God as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, and say, well, now i got a relationship with Jesus, but I had that one sin, so now he's going to visit my children for it. No, you come back under the blood, you receive forgiveness of sins, and you declare that he has become a curse on the cross so that the blessing of Abraham will be upon me and upon my family and upon my children. Those are not going to be visited to my children because they were visited on the cross. Amen. So see, surely he will visit it, but he wanted to visit, not on you or on your children, but on the cross. So if you remember that now we're in Christ, understand this when you talk about the love of God the Father. We're in Christ, right? You remember when Jesus was baptized, he went to John the Baptist who was baptizing people in water, it says, for the remission of sins. And he shows up and John the Baptist says, Jesus, man, you need, I, need, I need to be baptized by you. Jesus said, let it be so, so that it may fulfill all righteousness. In other words, Jesus was being baptized in water for actually several different reasons. But one of the reasons he was being baptized in water is so that when you were baptized in water, you were entering into the same baptism that he went into. So he sanctified the baptism waters so that you could experience what he was experiencing as a son because what happened at his baptism? At his baptism, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove and the Father spoke. You see the Trinity once again. You see the love of God the Father. You see the communion of the Holy Spirit that comes near and rests upon him like a dove and you see the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ right there. You see those three right there in the picture. And when the Holy Spirit descends, the Father speaks from heaven in a voice and he says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And here's what I want to say about prayer is that when you're entering into prayer, if you're praying through this, the first place that you want to begin is with the love of God the Father. And I was, talk I was actually talking to some guys over at Chad's Hope, none of, these, none of these fellas, some other fellas, but today I was talking to them about this. Because I meet with counselors and, you know, we have prayer meetings and, and it's very interesting. But if you have prayer meetings, like, for example, if we if we have 20 people come to a prayer meeting, how many of those would you guess are men usually on average? Somebody would say, well, half, surely to God, you got half men. No, you don't. You get about three out of 20 every time. Why is that? Why is it that men don't like to pray, but women do? Because women are, they're comfortable with intimacy, man. They can come up on the Lord and love on the Lord and just be, be like, I love the, but men, they're a little bit weird about that stuff, man. They don't want to be the Lord's beloved. They want to be like the Lord's bro or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't know what they want to be, but they have a struggle with intimacy with the father. They have a real hard time, especially if their relationship with their dad wasn't that good. They have a very difficult time receiving love from God the father. And a lot of times the picture of God is that most people just assume that God is up there pretty much just aggravated at you. Like he's just like looking at your week and being like, golly, man, you couldn't have prayed no more than that. You couldn't have read the Bible no more than that. You got angry and frustrated all week long. But if you go into the presence of God, the first thing that God the Father, I promise you, wants to do is pour his love out on you. Because his love will restore. His love will set you free. And when Jesus, Jesus has done nothing yet, and he hears this affirmation from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And in Christ, guess what? Regardless of who I am, what I've done, what my past looks like, the voice of the Father says to me, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased because I am in Christ now. He gave me that gift, that gift of righteousness. So when I come into prayer, there was a guy 
Y'all ever heard of Brennan Manning? He, he wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. He wrote a book called Abba. Y'all ever heard that song by Jonathan Helsuck called Abba? He said, Abba. We used to play it here, I think, didn't we? Well, see, on, 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 in Andrea's car, our music plays in alphabetical order, so every single time you turn the car on, Abba. I'm just like, shut up, man. I ain't trying to hear that. I, I, I don't even like that song now. But, but the thing is that you've got to understand, he wrote that and he said he was so messed up in his identity, being abused, not Jonathan Helser, but the guy, the guy who wrote the book, Abba, and he read it about Brendan Manning and then wrote the song. But he, he had dealt with abuse, he dealt with different things in his life, his relationship with, with, with his dad was tumultuous, and in order to get in a place where, where he understood the love of God for him. He had to sit in a room oftentimes and open his hands up and he would just say over and over again, Abba, I belong to you. Abba, I'm loved by you. He would just say that over and over again because he knew that that had to become his new identity. He had to experience the love of God the Father. So when you come into prayer, see, what you want to receive first is you want to get in that position where you receive the love of God the Father. Because when Satan comes to speak, Jesus hears the voice of the Father and the voice is filled with love. He immediately is driven by the Spirit into the wilderness where he face, faces Satan in temptation and he hears another voice, the voice of the devil. And the first voice that the devil says is, if you are the Son of God, what did he, what did he leave off there? He left off beloved. Why? Because he don't want you to ever think that you are loved by God. He wants you to feel unloved. He wants you to feel like God is distant. He wants you to feel like God is angry, but nothing could be further from the truth. God loves you more than you could ever imagine. And when you're in prayer, it is not wrong to come in there and say, I'm loved by God. I'm loved by you, Lord, and I want to sense your love right now. And you begin in that position of being loved by God the Father. And that love strengthens you. I'm going to tell you something. One of the reasons that I, that I experienced deliverance, I believe, in my life, it came, you could say, well, it was the power of the Holy Spirit, and it was the power of the Holy Spirit. But when you have a radical encounter with the Holy Spirit, I mean, you may shake, you may gyrate, but you know what the main key thing is that you experience in, in a baptism of the Holy Spirit? You experience a baptism of love. You encounter the love of God in a way that you never have before, and that love sets you free. When you know how loved you are by God the Father, it changes who you are. And you quit trying to perform and do things for God, and you just want to be with God. And then just, I told them guys at Chad's Hope, I said, the problem is, is that I got into ministry because I was in love with God the Father, and I had a relationship with God the Father, and I started to have overflow. And that overflow took me into ministry. But then once I got into ministry and people started calling me this or calling me that, and I actually had a ministry, I forgot about my relationship with God the Father. And I slowly started getting aggravated and burned out. And I still do that. Why? Because I forget that it's not about my ministry to the church and to the people. It's about my ministry to God the Father and being loved by Him first. That's my first identity. And whenever you're just trying to do stuff in the church or trying to minister to people, man, one, it ain't going to be fruitful. And two, it's going to burn you out and you're going to get aggravated with God. You're going to get aggravated with the church. You're going to wonder why, why nothing's working because you've forgotten your first love. And your first love is just to be loved. And so it starts right there with the love of God the Father. Now, his, his covenant faithfulness, there's five, at least five benefits of his covenant faithfulness. In Psalm 103, here's some of them, right? Y'all know Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. But his covenant love, his, his said, is revealed in these five things. Who forgives all of your sins. 
See, His covenant faithfulness means that He brings forgiveness into your life for all of your sins. Secondly, He heals all of your diseases. His covenant faithfulness is revealed in the fact that He heals you. And then thirdly, He redeems your life from the pit, right? If you get in destruction, if you get into a place where, where, where you're experiencing bondage and chains, He redeems your life from the pit and He crowns you with love and compassion and He satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So the first part of our prayer is we're just coming into this place where we're receiving the love of God the Father. And that starts, if you're going to pray, start out with that. Start out with worship. Start out with just sitting there and saying, Father, I belong to you. Father, I'm loved by you. And even pray out scriptures. It says, oh, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And you just enter into that place where you're simply being loved on by God. Now, secondly, it says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So may the love of God the Father and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So God is love, but see, God is holy. And I don't know if y'all knew this about the world, but it's pretty jacked up. Me and, me and Andrea was watching a video yesterday about... Whew, I don't even want to talk about it. Talk about, I think you posted the video. It was about Pornhub and, and sex trafficking. and all. You know how much wickedness there is in this world, folks? Like, it is messed up. And kids in Georgia got found where they had a sex trafficking ring and stuff like that. Man, it just, there is some evil in this world. Guess what? There's some evil in our hearts. Mine and yours. And the only thing that can bridge that gap, I was telling some guys the other day, and I was telling Andrea the other day, I was, on, I was in a phone call. When you get in ministry, sometimes you take phone calls from people you don't want to talk to. Somebody amen me, right? I don't know. I'm just trying to be transparent. So, so I was like, I was on the phone with this, this person, and I thought to my, I, I'm kidding you not, in my flesh as a pastor, I was thinking, you know what, I would just rather not be talking to this person. And as I'm talking to this person, as I'm talking to this person, I sense, and they, they, they're just going off really and, and doing stuff, but they, they finally get calmed down. And, and once they get calmed down, uh, I sense something happening in my heart. And it's like all, in a moment, I sense the love of Jesus Christ for this person and the compassion for this person on the inside of me, loving them. And I start to cry. It's like midnight. And I'm sitting there crying, listening to this person talk because I sense God's love for them. But on the same token, I got a war going on on the inside of me. I got God's love extending through me to this person. And then I got me in my mind thinking, I don't even want to be on this phone call. I don't even care if this person vanished. How is that? And I felt the Lord say to me, you know, Clay, you see, you sent, see I, he said, I live in you. You realize that. He said, but do you see that gap right there between you and I? There's a large gap right there between you and I. And the only thing that can close that gap is something called grace, something called mercy. And he says, you know what? My Holy Spirit wants to do a work in your life to where there's no difference between you and what you felt me doing on the inside. So that you and I would become one. He said, you and I aren't one just yet. But you, want, you need to be one. You need to come into that place of one. But see, grace is what brought... See, mercy, mercy is you don't get what you do deserve. Every single... We, the, the earth should be burning right now. If we all got what we deserve, the earth would be on fire, son. It would be wide open, heated up, burning. If we all got what we deserved. 
But it's mercy that that's not happening right now. It's because of the Lord's mercies, the Scripture says, that we're not consumed. His mercies are new and fresh every morning, right? So His mercy is we don't get what we do deserve, but His grace is we do get what we don't deserve. He doesn't just hold off. He chooses to come right into our midst. Jesus Christ, God Himself, takes on flesh, enters into our brokenness, enters into our sinfulness, takes on our sinfulness. That's grace. And the Scripture says, of His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. That's undeserved favor upon undeserved favor. You don't deserve the blessing that God gives you, but He wants you to have it anyway. That's called grace. He wants you to have it. He wants to bless you, and you don't deserve it. And if you ever get to the place where you feel like you do deserve it, it's no longer grace. He wants to give it to you in spite of you. And we have to receive this grace regularly. So see, Jesus is God's grace incarnate. And where the grace flows to you and I is at the cross of Jesus Christ. Because here's some exchanges that happened on the cross. When Jesus was on the cross, He didn't deserve punishment, did He? But He took punishment so that you could have forgiveness. When Jesus was on the cross, He didn't deserve to be beaten. He didn't deserve to be whipped. He didn't deserve to bleed. He didn't deserve to be punched in the face and His beard torn out. He did not deserve any of those things, but He took those stripes. Why? So that you and I could be healed. There was an exchange. And then the Scripture says that on the cross, even though He did not know any sin, He never knew any sin whatsoever, yet He took my sin, He took your sin, and He became sin on the cross so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Him. In other words, you could say, but I don't deserve righteousness. I don't deserve to be forgiven. I don't deserve to be free. Well, Jesus didn't deserve to wear your sin, but He did, and there was an exchange. So you get, He, he got what, you, what He didn't deserve so that you could have what you didn't deserve. And then it says that he, he became a curse so that we could receive His blessing. It says that, that He endured poverty. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, I really like this verse. I read it earlier. It says that... He, that we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that even though He was rich, yet He became poor, that through His poverty, we might be made rich. Does that talk about finances, Clay? I don't know. It just says, it just says what it says, but I'm thinking about more riches than just money, right? He came to bring us heavenly riches through His poverty. On the cross... He endured shame so that we could, we could receive His glory. And He endured rejection. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? So that we could say, my God, my God, why have you so accepted me in spite of all the things that I've done? There was an exchange that took place. Now Romans 5.17 says this. If you see all that grace, see when you're praying and you come to the Lord, you start to get thankful. That's why when we worship, we start to look to the cross. You feel bad about what you've done this week, look to the cross. You feel bad about the struggles that you're going with, look to the cross. Remember that He bore the curse, He bore the sin, He bore the shame. You don't have to worry any of that anymore. He comes to bring healing, He comes to bring deliverance because He took everything on the cross. And so when you come to Him in prayer, you can receive this abundance of grace. Romans 5.17 says this, for if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So he says, look, through one man's offense, death was reigning in the world. But God wants you to reign, and he says the way that you are going to reign is through receiving an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Now I tell this sometimes, but when you talk about receiving stuff, people, people don't understand it because they think, they think if God is going to do something, He's just going to do it and you don't have no part to play. Some people believe that, right? 
You know, I had no part to play. There's three words in the Greek language for receive. So, and y- y'all love Greek. I know you do. Y'all go around saying it all the time. You know, you know what the Greek word for this is? You tell everybody. There's three words, haromai, dekomai, and lambano. Okay, haromai means this. It means that I come and I just snatch your Bible from you and you ain't got no choice. I just take it. Dekomai means you give it to me and you just put it in my lap and I don't even have to fight. You just come and give it to me. Two different ones. But the one that is here is lambano. And what that means is that God extends it to you, but you have to actively reach out and receive it. This grace is not just going to fall on you. You have to actively reach out and receive this grace that is being offered to you. So God extends His grace through the cross. He says, look what I've done. I've broken every curse. I've offered you forgiveness. There's healing that is available here for you. But what you have to do is exercise your faith, release your faith in that gift, believe that you are loved, and by faith reach out and take it. And one of the ways that you receive an abundance of grace is exactly by what you're doing right now. You receive grace when you hear the Word of God. You receive grace whenever you pray. You receive grace whenever you worship, whenever you you take communion, you receive grace. When you fellowship with one another and you pray for one another and you do these things in Christ, you are receiving an abundance of grace in what's happening to you. You are being enabled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to reign in life, to overcome sin, to overcome anxiety, to overcome fear, to be filled with all of the fullness of God, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and to walk and live as Christ walked and lived. That's the abundance of grace that he's saying that we can receive. Now let me just move on and get to the last one here. The last one is the fellowship or the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. So after we've received the love of the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to invite the Holy Spirit to a time of fellowship and intimate friendship. How many of you like throughout your day? Because here's the thing, the Holy Spirit, right? He lives on the inside of Christian believers. He's right right in there. I like to say he's right in there because sometimes when I feel him, he feels like he's right there. I know that's probably not true, but that's just what it feels like. You know how Jesus said that, he said, Any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living waters. And sometimes that can be translated heart. But see, the, the, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, believe that the belly was the seat of the emotions. When you get sick, you feel it in your stomach. When you get nervous, you feel it in your stomach. Your spirit probably does not actually have a location. It might, but sometimes you can sense the Holy Spirit right here. Just right here. Just leading you, impressing you, saying no, saying yes, giving you joy right there. It just starts to bubble up. You feel it. You sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. But see, the Holy Spirit wants intimate communion, intimate friendship, intimate fellowship with you. So when you're praying, when you receive the love of the Father, when you receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're reminded of what He's done for you in prayer. Then you come and you invite the Holy Spirit. You say, you know what, Holy Spirit, I want you to feel me. And I want you to fill me with the fruits of the Spirit. I want you to produce the fruit in me, the love, the joy, the peace. I used, I used to go through that list and I would pray through love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I used to pray through those. Then I go to the gifts of Spirit over in 1 Corinthians 12. I say, Holy Spirit, give me your gifts. Give me the fruits, give me the gifts. And I pray, Lord, give me a word of knowledge. Give me, give me the word of wisdom. Give me the gift of faith. Give me the working of miracles. I would pray those things. Because you know, the Bible actually teaches you should desire spiritual gifts. You should desire to be used by God in your daily life and ask the Holy Spirit to use you in those ways. But you're asking Him to come into this intimate friendship and fellowship and communion with you because He wants to be a friend. Jesus called Him a paraclete, right? That's that's a comforter. That's one called alongside of you. That's one 
that is an advocate for you. It means that He's walking with you hand in hand. It means that He knows all the worst and best things about you and He knows how to talk to God the Father about you as well. He knows the will of God the Father and He lives inside of you so that He can reveal the will of God the Father to you. He knows all the most intimate things about you and He knows all the most intimate things about God the Father's heart for you and He shares those things with you and He reveals Jesus to you. And the Scripture says He teaches you all things, He guides you into all truth, and He will legitimately show you things to come. You've been in intimate communion with the Holy Spirit and all of a sudden you just get a glimpse of something that you just, and it excites you. You're like, man, if that's possible... And if you're anything like me where you're majority of the time pessimist, you get that from the Lord and then you leave about an hour later and you'll be like, no, that ain't going to happen. And you got to resist that, right? Because that's the flesh. Leona knows what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> you know, the, the Lord will say something to you in a secret place and it's so, it's so good, it's too good to be true. And then you get back in the flesh and you say, no, that ain't going to happen. Anybody amen me on that? We gotta, you got to resist that stuff. I got to re resist that stuff. We've got to believe that God is better than, than, than what he is. Because he is better than what he is. He's better than you could ever imagine. So in Isaiah 11, I'm going to try to finish up right here. Isaiah 11, verse 2 through 3. This is talking about Jesus, but guess what? What did we say about Jesus? We're in him. I'm in Christ. Why don't you just say that? Say, I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ, right? If I'm in Christ, then what Christ has, the scripture says that I am an heir of God, and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. That means that what Jesus inherits, I inherit. Imagine you had an Uncle Rico, and Uncle Rico passes away and he leaves you an inheritance. And you go in to the lawyer and you say, well, what did Uncle Rico leave me? And they said, he left you everything. You say, what? What do you mean everything? Do you mean like everything he owns? No, I'm talking about everything. You're a joint heir with Christ, that's what you're going to inherit. Everything. And right now we're getting foretastes of that going on in our life. But see, put that picture of the menorah up there. You know, sometimes I steal really bad pictures off the internet. Y'all probably can't even see that. But this menorah was in the Old Testament. Like when they went into the temple, you had the table of showbread on one hand. You had the menorah on the other hand. They had to keep this lit. This represented the power of the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's what it represented. And they had to keep it lit. The oil could not run out. In, in, in the, in, well, when they started celebrating Hanukkah during the Maccabees, they actually extended this from seven to nine, which is kind of interesting because you went into the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit, the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's really interesting. They extended that whenever they started celebrating Hanukkah in about 100 B.C. or whatever, right before Jesus comes. I, I think it's pretty cool. But they could not allow that to go out. Okay, They had to keep it lit. And in the same way, guess what? You have the responsibility to keep the fire of the Holy Spirit burning in your heart. 2 Timothy 1 verse 6, what did Paul tell Timothy? He said, stir up, fan into flames the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. You have to actively be keeping that lit. Go, go back to that picture right quick. You've got to actively be keeping that lit. And there's seven, seven spirits right there. So Isaiah 11, verse 2 through 3, it says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. So if you look at that middle one, now you probably can't read that, but it just says the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord. Now, 
Somebody will say, it says the seven spirits of God. I'll say this, God doesn't have seven spirits. He has one spirit, but it has seven dimensions, okay? Seven dimensions of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit of the Lord is the center one. That center shaft, so to speak, is about your intimacy with God the Father. You know how you keep that fire burning? Through intimacy with God the Father, through communion with the Holy Spirit, through worship and through prayer and through devotion. That's how you keep that fire stoked and lit. You keep that charisma, that gift, that gift of God that is in you by the laying on of hands through intimacy with God, through intimacy with the Holy Spirit. And when you do, you step into the other aspects of this. And see, you can learn how to pray through this. I used to pray this all the time. I say Holy Spirit, rest on me today. Give me a spirit of wisdom and understanding. The first one is a spirit of wisdom, right? Wisdom is about order. Wisdom is about bringing order. In the beginning of creation, it says that wisdom was with God in the beginning of creation when He spoke. And when He spoke, what did He do? He spoke and there was absolute chaos. The, the earth was without form and void. There was absolute chaos everywhere. But He spoke and everything came into order. Wisdom is the ability to see things in such a way that you can speak and you can bring order into the chaos of your life and the, and the things and people around you. So you, you're given leadership skills to bring order to your family, uh, to the people around you, and you can see and know things. And the Scripture says, like one place, Ephesians 1.17, Paul prayed, Lord, I, I pray that you grant them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. So wisdom is a spirit. It's something that you can walk with. In the Hebrew language, there's a few different words for wisdom. One of them is, is um, madah. It means inner consciousness. In other words, for example, if, you, if you're walking with the spirit of wisdom, let's just say you walk into a room and certain people are talking about certain things. The spirit of wisdom will tell you, hush up right now. Don't say anything. Just pay attention. And you listen to that and you surrender to it. And then you go on and you're walking in and you hear some other things. And then all of a sudden the spirit of wisdom rises up and says, say just this sentence. And you say it, and it brings a resolution to the issue, right? There's some, the spirit of wisdom, being aware of it. There's an inner consciousness. And you pray, Lord, give me the spirit of wisdom so that I can bring order. Then the second one is to pray for the spirit of understanding, wisdom. And understanding is about clarity. It's the ability to see life clearly and to perceive things and to know what is the will of God. It's to look at a situation in your life and to know I don't need to be doing this. I do need to be doing this. And you have clarity because you understand the situation at hand. And you're not in chaos. You're not in turmoil. Why? Because God has given you the spirit of understanding. Thirdly, he says the spirit of counsel. The spirit of counsel is, is about making decisions. And a lot of times, here's, here's what I'll realize. Sometimes I get in a tizzy. You know what I'm talking about? You ever been in a tizzy? Anybody? Yeah. And what I have to do is finally, at some point, chill myself out enough to acknowledge the Lord and say, Holy Spirit, what are you doing right now? And when I do, I notice that He will give me inner counsel. He'll give me, inner, he'll give me an impression. He'll say, everything's, sometimes the Holy Spirit will say, everything's going to be alright, Clay. And He gives me that inner counsel. And He directs me and He lets me know. Even, even sometimes with decisions like with the church, I'll, I'll go to the Lord in prayer. I'll say, what do we need to do? Like, like for example, I really believed when, during the whole COVID thing that, we, that I felt like I was not just making decisions based on what other people were doing. I felt like I was going to the Lord in prayer. I felt like He was giving me inner counsel. At one point, I really felt like the Holy Spirit said, Clay, I want you to move to outdoor services for this amount of time and I want you to move it back inside. I said, all right, I felt like maybe that's from the Lord, so let's go with it. And we went with it. 
You know what I'm saying? And everything turned out all right. We were all right through this season, right? And it may not seem like that big of a deal, but when you're worried and you're, and you're wondering what's best for everybody, you need that inner counsel to make the right decisions. And not only that, you need counsel for other people because the spirit of counsel, when somebody comes to you with an issue or a problem, you're going to be able to give them a word of encouragement, maybe a word of correction, maybe a, a word that just brings them peace, but that counsel comes through that. Then it says the spirit of might. Now this is authority. Because sometimes you're going to get intimidated, you're going to get fearful, the devil's going to try to back you up, and you need the spirit of might to come upon you and say, no, I ain't dealing with this, and I'm going to resist the devil, and I'm going to attack him, and I'm going to come at him, and I'm going to fight and do battle, and I'm going to see healing come, I'm going to see deliverance come, I'm going to speak the word of God with boldness, because sometimes you need the Holy Spirit to rise up in you like a mighty lion, don't you? The spirit of might, the spirit of power, dunamis power that releases healing. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. And because of that might and because of that power, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. That might destroys the devil's work. It destroys the power of sin. And then it says knowledge. Now this knowledge, this spirit of knowledge is revelation. This means that God is able to reveal to you things that you could not have otherwise known in a given situation. You realize that every time Jesus walked up, like he had, he had this spirit of knowledge. When I think it was uh, Philip comes to him and he's talking about, he, he introduces Nathaniel to Jesus in John chapter 1. And, and uh, Nathaniel says something and, and Jesus says, oh yeah, before you came I saw you under the fig tree. Nathaniel's like, what do you mean you saw me under the fig tree? And that just, that freaked Nathaniel out. He was like, man, this dude's the son of God. He said, you think I'm the son of God because I, because I saw you under the fig tree? What did he have? He had knowledge. The Holy Spirit gave him knowledge in that, in that instant of something other than, than what he could have known by his natural eyes and by hearing by his natural ears. And then lastly, the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is integrity. It's wholeness, it's innocence, it's purity, and it's being an example in your body, in your mind, and in your spirit. And the fear of the Lord is a good thing. I know a lot of people don't think it's a good thing, but to be so in awe of the Lord that He, that he is the one that you acknowledge above all things, right? That whenever you're tempted or you're led a certain direction, man, you want that fear of the Lord to be there. It's something that keeps you, it protects you. The fear of the Lord is clean and pure, the Bible says. The fear of the Lord causes you to depart from evil. It's integrity. And, and he's saying, he's praying all of these. We, we pray for all of these to be upon us. And then it says, lastly, it says, His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. Now, this is kind of interesting because he says, His delight is in the, in the law of the Lord, or in the, in the fear of the Lord. That word for delight is literally, if you look it up, you can go to BibleHub.com, look it up. It's smell. His smell is in the fear of the Lord is what it says. But smell has a lot to do. Like, you know, Andrea, my wife, she can smell anything. I'm, I'm serious. Like one, one time I accidentally stepped in a little bit of gas when I was pumping gas. It spilled. I stepped in a little bit. I didn't even smell it. I walk into the house and I, and I, and I kind of I, I walk through the house. I realize, oh, man, I didn't take my shoes off. So I go back and I put them back. Andrea comes in the house, as soon as she walks in, she and she starts sniffing stuff out just like a dog, son. And, and, and she, got, she goes up and she, found, she finds everywhere that the gas was and then she finally traces it back to my shoe and says, you stepped in gas. You know, 
she she got she got she can smell, man. She can smell some stuff. But in 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 the Old Testament, in the Hebrew mind, to smell meant you had the ability to discern. You ever heard the, the saying, like in the mafia, I smell a rat? Anybody ever smelt a rat? They, they were discerning that somebody was, was, you know, ratting them out, telling on them. It has to do with discernment. And, and so he says that his smell is in the fear of the Lord. And what does that mean for him? It says that he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. In other words, the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to discern so that you may see one thing with your eyes, but you know something different in your spirit. You may hear one thing with your ears, but you know something different in your spirit. And so when we're coming to the Lord in prayer, we start out by saying, Lord, I just receive your love right now. I just worship you, God, because you're good. And I know that you love me so much that you sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for me. And God, I see his grace and his goodness that he reached down. He stooped down. He took on flesh. He took on my sin. And through his grace, God, I've got forgiveness. I've got acceptance. All of my shame is gone because of his grace. And I'll even so you start meditating about what he did on the cross. You start thinking, thanking him for what he's done on the cross. You let that take you into a place of worship. You receive all of the benefits. You, you start to pray out, Lord, one of, the, one of the aspects of your covenant love and faithfulness, Lord, and because of your grace is that I have forgiveness of sins, but I have healing of all my diseases. And right now I got some brothers and sisters that are dealing with sickness and disease in this area and you start praying for them. And then, and then, and then you, it talks about how he redeems our lives from the pit. I got some brothers that are in bondage. Lord, I pray that you would minister your redemption to them. I pray that you would crown them with loving kindness and tender mercy, that you would guard their minds right and all you start to pray through these things and you pray through the grace and then you invite the Holy Spirit to come and you feel feel you you say Lord I, I want you to use me in the gifts of the Spirit give me the word of knowledge Lord give me the gift of prophecy help me to encourage somebody today give me a quick understanding in the fear of the Lord let me discern what's going on give me wisdom and understanding give me counsel and might. give me the spirit of knowledge in the fear of the Lord let these things be upon me and you're praying through those things you create a prayer pattern you can literally just take these scriptures that I gave you tonight and pray through them. And you create a prayer pattern like that. And then you're, in, you're, you're recognizing your relationship with the Godhead, the, the love of the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the communion, the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's just bow our heads just for a minute. Let's just ask the Holy Spirit to move right here just for a minute. And I want you to, sometimes we, we do a lab night and we just say, Lord, what are you up to? Now, the Lord may speak something directly to you, and it's just for you. He may give you something. He may impress somebody on your heart and say, you know what, why don't you just share this encouraging word with them? Or he might just give you a word that you feel like you want to share with the whole group. But right now, Holy Spirit, we just take a minute because we want intimate communion and we want intimate fellowship with you. And we ask you to fill us right now. We ask you to speak to us. We ask you to use us just over these next few minutes and to bless us. So just take a moment, just be quiet, just be still right there before the Lord and see what He speaks to you about. Thank you, Lord.